So I was going to uh, continue our study in the book of Romans today, uh, which we were in in our last post. Man, I'm loving being in Romans, and uh, it's not going to be a long time until we kind of pick that up again. But I have to admit, I was uh, really enjoying not just refreshing, but kind of digging even deeper into some of the elements of the passage we're going to be covering. Uh, I say enjoying, like there is a deep satisfaction in digging deeply into the things of God, even in regard to things like the passage regarding God's sovereignty, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and those kinds of things. This is a passage that for many is very troubling. And so part of me wants to make sure that when I communicate these ideas, I do so in a way uh, that doesn't further people's fears in that, but helps to bring some understanding and some clarity to what's in view there. And so I'm kind of still piecing together how I'm going to communicate some of those things. But that being said, I also was going through our comments section, and uh, and I saw one here that kind of grabbed my attention I wanted to go ahead and speak to today. This one actually comes from a friend of mine at church, uh, Justin, who's watching uh, and commenting. Uh, he asks the question in, reg- in re- uh, regard to Revelation 12. So let me go ahead and read it. Do you put any stock into the claim that the man-child in Revelation 12 is referring to both uh, both to Christ and his church, in other words, head and body? I hear pre-trib folks use this to demonstrate that position. Uh, No, I don't. Okay, next question. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I don't actually infer that in, in, in Revelation 12. Now, I'll encourage you to read Revelation 12 uh, in its entirety. It's 17 verses, and it's a rich passage. It's an important one to understand, but let me sort of give a breakdown of what this is. In Revelation 12, a sign is shown in heaven. Now, there's question as to whether or not this sign is visible on the earth or not. That's an important point because there are those that are saying that this sign has already appeared in the heavens and is therefore indicating that Satan has been cast out of heaven and is is persecuting on the earth and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that I necessarily believe that. I, I think that there are reasons to think that Satan has not been cast out of heaven just yet. Um, uh, and in particular, uh, one of those has to do with the persecution of Israel and chasing her off into the wilderness. I think that happens at a very specific point. I'll get to that in just a moment. Um, I will say at the top, and just to finish that, uh, the thought about the sign in heaven, in chapter 11 of Revelation, if you read chapter 11 into chapter 12, you'll see that John is seeing things happening in heaven, including uh, seeing the Ark of the Covenant and the temple in heaven, and there are lightnings and thunderings and hail and that kind of thing. That could be implying that there are things John sees happening in heaven that are causing uh, lightnings and thunderings and hail on the earth, but not necessarily. This may still be happening in heaven, and therefore it's possible that when John sees this uh, vision of the woman with the sun, moon, and stars in Revelation 12.1, this may also just be visible in heaven. It may not be that he's speaking of the heavens, like the sky and the night sky in that, but it may be something that he just sees in heaven. That's not an enormous point, except maybe when it comes to the question of, has Satan been cast out yet? So let me just uh, explain some of the imagery that appears there. Again, I'll encourage you to read the chapter. But there is the woman that is seen there with the sun, moon, and stars. There is the dragon, who we're told later in chapter 17 is that old uh, serpent of old, the devil. Uh, There is a man-child or a child that is born to this woman who is uh, heavy in labor, uh, and and the dragon or Satan is waiting for her to give birth that he might destroy this child. But he is caught up into heaven to the throne of God. And so we immediately begin to recognize who the child is 
This is Christ himself, born of Mary or born of Israel, uh, who we know that's who the woman is. How do we know that? You're saying, well, wait a minute. I thought the woman was, you know, maybe the church or Mary or something like that. And well, we know who the woman is because this same imagery, this the woman with the sun, moon, and stars, appears in Genesis 37 at the beginning of the Bible or near the beginning of the Bible. The imagery that's used there is given in a dream that Joseph has. He has a couple of dreams about things that are coming, and for some reason he decides he wants to tell his brothers about it when the dreams all seem to have to do with them bowing down to him. Uh, I'm not sure why he felt the need to do that, but uh, but he told them about it. They envied him for it. But this 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 dream that Joseph has of the sun and moon and 11 stars, his brothers, all bowing down to him, Catch, it kind of uh, uh, warrants his father's rebuke. He says, well, wait a minute now. Are your mother and I and your brothers all going to bow down to you? It's an interesting scene, and we understand in the immediate fulfilling of that, this is a dream that God gives Joseph on the immediate side of things to help him understand that the day is coming when he's going to be in such prominence that one day he's going to turn out to rescue his family during a famine in Egypt where he has been made second in command behind Pharaoh. There are a bunch of circumstances with God's hand of providence, things that his brothers meant for evil, but God ended up using for good, uh, Genesis uh, 50, 10, 50, 20, 50, 10, I think. And um, um, so we understand that immediate. But it's interesting that Jacob tells us what this imagery means. The sun, moon, and stars refer to Jacob, Rachel, and the brothers, or Israel. The, the brothers and Jacob are the foundation of the nation of Israel. And so, and Israel, as a matter of fact, is brought into Egypt during that famine by Joseph. He ultimately, after revealing himself to, to his brothers, and they, they now recognize him, that whole dramatic scene, he ends up preserving the family for, you know, another generation in that, where they... Uh, where the people of, of the, the, the offspring of, of Jacob's sons grow into a nation under, under Egypt, and so the nation is born there in that period of time. And so Joseph saves the nation. But the sun, moon, and stars, the, the woman with the sun, moon, and stars, we understand this to be Israel. So that helps us understand Revelation 12. The Israel gives birth to Messiah. Satan wants to destroy the Messiah. We know that happened under uh, a number of times during uh, the the ever-expanding recognition of the Messianic line throughout the Old Testament, but most specifically during the time of Herod the Great, where he sought to destroy this king that had come, that the, the wise men, the Magi, had come talking to him about. And so, however... The man-child is swept up, caught up into heaven. Satan tries to destroy Christ, tries to mislead him away, tries to tempt him away throughout his ministry. Uh, even, you know, it's it's unclear how much Satan knew about what the cross was going to accomplish and all that. We, we often wonder, maybe the Bible had a redacted version of the Old Testament or something where he didn't fully understand what was happening there. Um, we don't, whatever the case, after the resurrection— what may have may have appeared to Satan to have been the stopping of the redemptive purpose actually turned out to be um, the fulfilling of it because Christ dies, he's buried, he rises again the third day, he ascends into heaven. Uh, however, Israel remains. And so not only has Israel been persecuted throughout history, but there's a day coming under Antichrist when the greatest persecution upon Israel will finally eventually take place. And so we see elements of this throughout uh, Revelation chapter 12. So the question of the man-child, does this represent the church and the rapture even of the church, presumably? I know among some who would see the church in this man-child, 
the question of the rapture comes into play. Um, I think there are some very practical reasons why I don't think the church is in view in regard to the rapture. Uh, for one thing, I think that the rapture happens far sooner than this battle in heaven takes place. Uh, I think the rapture happens prior to the opening of the first seal, which is the description of the Antichrist being let loose to go ahead and conquer, albeit peacefully, seemingly through political intrigue and that kind of thing. Um, but, But that's when he comes on the scene. This presumably again would be the same thing that Daniel sees in not in chapter 9 verse 27 when he speaks about this one who comes and signs a peace covenant or a covenant with the many which in the middle of that covenant three and a half years in he violates the covenant and causes the offerings and sacrifices to cease again you can read that in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 um, a passage of scripture, Daniel 70 weeks, verses 24 through 27. We've spoken about that a number of times in the past. Uh, but in verse 27, we see these events unfold. That violating of the peace covenant at the, at the halfway point, or three and a half years in, is the point at which um, the woman, likely here in Revelation 12, what is in view is that persecution that happens, where the enemy chases her off in the wilderness, where she is protected for three and a half years. That's why I think this happens at that time, in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, or as we typically call it, the middle of the, of the, uh, of the tribulation period. And at that point, when, uh, when the, the dragon persecutes the woman, and he does so vicariously through Antichrist, um, Antichrist uh, chases her off, uh, Israel, off into the wilderness. Um, Matter of fact, let me just pull in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two. This is where Paul describes uh, this son of perdition, this man of sin, who uh, calls himself God, declares himself God, demands to be worshipped above, worshipped above all that is called God, and he goes into the temple and does these things. This is what Paul describes in Second Thessalonians two. This is an event yet future, in my view. I know there are those that believe this may have already happened in seventy A.D. I think there's plenty of reason to think that that's not the case. But um, but in the future, when this happens, um, this is the point at which Israel recognizes that the wait, this is not the Messiah. We've been fooled, and the Antichrist starts to persecute Israel like never before. Uh, and so she is protected in the wilderness for three and a half years, as the passage says in Revelation twelve again. Uh, so all of these events are taking place around Israel. One more thing from Daniel chapter 9. In, in chapter 9, verse 24, when this vision begins to un, uh, be described, it starts by saying that this vision, Daniel, is for your holy people and your holy city. So we are told specifically that the focal point during this 70 years is Israel. There is a gap between the 69th and 70, 70th week, and we're living in that gap right now. The 70th week begins with the signing of that peace covenant and ends with the return of Christ. It is violated halfway through by the Antichrist, who signs it at the beginning of the 70th week. So the focus during that period of time is predominantly Israel. Not that there are Gentiles in the world, but in terms of God's redemptive plan, this is a significant change of focus. Paul describes this as blindness being upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. What that means is that once the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, this is Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, 
Uh, the idea here is that the blindness that is currently upon Israel is lifted. That seems to fit nicely into the idea of Israel becoming the focal point at the beginning of the 70th week and the church not really being around for that. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I think, and just one of the reasons why I think, that the rapture happens prior to this. So if that's the case, it's a hard sell trying to mix the metaphors in chapter 12 of Revelation. Uh, it's certainly not necessary to see the church in there. I would say that it begins to, again, mix the metaphor and make it uh, less understandable rather than more understandable um, when you try to insert the church into any part of that. The church does not appear to be visible in the book of Revelation, at least from the beginning of chapter 6, if not the beginning of chapter 4, but at least chapter 6 through chapter 19, verse 11, when we return with him, uh, you know, when he comes with the armies of heaven. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks about when he appears in glory, we'll, we'll appear with him. Jude talks about him returning with ten thousands of his saints. And so, um, again, I, I, th I think the more consistent approach to Revelation 12 and the man-child within that chapter is to see this plainly as Christ alone. Not to put anything attached to him, but just to recognize that Israel is portrayed in the woman who gives birth to Messiah, who ultimately uh, ascends into heaven, and we will see him as, uh, as, as the conquering king when he returns in chapter 19, verse 11. So that's my take on Revelation 12 and the question about whether or not maybe the, uh, not only the Son of God, you know, Christ himself, but maybe the church is also seen in that man-child. I don't think so. Um, I don't, uh, you know, people are, are always trying to piece together things that are seen in the book of Revelation. And so I, I, I get where there might, you know, be some case to be, you know, kind of made for that. But I, I do think it's, it's mixing a metaphor unnecessarily. And I don't personally think that that's what's in view there. So for what it's worth, that's my two cents on that. So take it uh, for what it is. And um, and do your own uh, homework and, and looking into that and uh, and one day we'll we'll have a clearer picture of this we'll understand it we'll have a, a more full understanding of these things but for now that's my take so there you go all right well thanks again for the question uh, Justin and if anyone else has questions or thoughts or anything like that you're welcome to share them in the comments section uh, of our YouTube channel if you'd like to send me an email you can do that at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com I've got a few questions that have come in that I'm going to try and get to in the days ahead as well. Uh, again, not going to get too far from that Roman study again. We'll probably interdisperse that a little more regularly in our study going forward, uh, in our in our uh, posts going forward. So, um, but in any case, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to catching up in the next post. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. Father, we do thank you for the hope that you've given us about the fulfilling of your purposes and plans in the days ahead. We just ask the Lord you'd help us to have our eyes lifted up as we keep our hands on the plow. And uh, Father, just help us to recognize the days in which we live and, um, and just with great anticipation to look forward to Christ coming for his bride. We love you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. The dogs say hello, and we'll catch up with you next time.